And it is 5 o'clock on this Monday, the middle of Easter, or the start of Easter week here in glorious Moab, Utah. You're listening to KZMU, of course. And this is This Week in Moab, one of the, actually, the oldest public affairs show in the 30-year history of KZMU. So for today, I decided I want to spend an hour with the um, father, the parent, so to speak, of this fabulous This Week in Moab show. Um, which was created by a wonderful local gentleman, kind of a legend in his own right, and it's in our own little world. And since we are the center of the universe, you're a legend in the universe. You on there, Rory? We are the center of the, o- we are the off center of the universe. That's right. <laughs> I haven't heard it put like that. Rory is many, many things. He was very involved with KZMU for many years. He is a rock art specialist, I would say, probably up there as a PhD um, level of observer of the rocks but there is no degree in rock art (laughs) (laughs) but it's just really great to have you here rory tyler um you take me way back well thank you howard (laughs) it means we're not getting any younger buddy (laughs) (laughs) life is fatal so this show i kind of want to we will get to the show but i want to really find out your early introduction to kzmu take us back if you will Okay, uh, I came to Moab in November 93, and by late 94, I decided I wanted knew enough about town that I wanted to get involved in something, and I, the radio show, the radio station had just started the year before. They were in a trailer up here, and they had the foundation poured, and it was pretty funky. <laughs> and, uh, That's another description <laughs> of it. <laughs> And uh, so I asked the chairman of the board how you got to be a board member. He said, well, you come to a meeting and introduce yourself and listen to the meeting. And so I went to the meeting and I got said, hey, here's our new board member, Rory Tyler. <laughs> Who was the chairman back then? <laughs> Bill Schultz. Okay. And I Bill said, Schultz. well, this place is in trouble <laughs> <laughs> because that was no kind of process for picking board members. And so I listened to a couple board uh, meetings for a couple months and heard people basically just complaining for two hours and I took notes and after the third meeting I said look everything we were complaining about here's a list of how we can approach it step by step and then the entire board quit after that <laughs> <laughs> let me just back up even more Rory. where are you from and what's your background oh, I grew up in Wisconsin uh, in the 1950s and 60s I Moved to Oregon when I was 20. I lived there for 15 years. Then I came down to the Four Corners, and I landed in Moab. And like I said, I've been here 29 years now. Wow. So back to 1994, you, the board all quit once you joined. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they found other members after that, of course. Well, we found new members, and a lot. there was a sort of a political clickism going on at that time. And so they found people that could oppose the new force on the board. And one of them was a guy named George Ottinger, who was, you know, basically adversarial. But George was also a pretty good guy, and he said, well, let's build a building. And I said, yeah, let's do that. Because I had, first thing I did when I got on the board is I read a book about what a board of directors for a nonprofit is supposed to do. (laughs) And one of the things they said is, bricks and mortar money is the easiest to get. So we just went ahead with no money, no plans, no fundraising, and we just started building this uh, building here, and thanks to people like uh, 
yeah, the one we're sitting in right now. And thanks to people like Steve Ruff Russell and Jeff Flanders, and, uh, we were able to get enough money to create a radio station. Bon Kelly, too. I mean, wasn't he the station manager? Bon Kelly was a later manager. Okay. Uh, Who was the station manager when you started? Do you remember? Uh, was there such a role at that time? Uh, Lowell McElhinney was the part-time manager. Okay. And then we had another fellow here who was part-time, but uh, <coughs> that didn't work out too well. <laughs> hey, did you DJ ever before the, before the This Week in Moab show? Did you ever host a, sh a music show? Uh, well, I used to, when I was on the board, I would do fill-in shows, music shows and su such. And, but uh, <coughs> So I was on the board, and we got that done, and after two years, I quit the board. Uh, and then... Uh, at that time, we had hired uh, Lisa DeReese as the board, as the manager. Lisa DeReese? Yeah. I and didn't know you that. Know, you know Lisa. Of course, yes. She had a degree in communications from the University of Indiana. I really wanted to keep her, but she fell in love with somebody and moved to Alaska half-time. I said, let's just hire her back when she gets here, but that's when Bond came in and... Uh, became our manager and we couldn't I couldn't get Lisa back in I really did want her though she would have been running this show today and doing a wonderful job she's a very <laughs> solid okay. solid and dependable person with good business sense <laughs> okay but then so you decided when did you decide that you wanted to host a public affairs show well that was a <clears throat> uh, I liked the radio but I I didn't want to do do too much but then uh I don't know if you remember this, but it, it must have been about 98 or 99. Uh, the police killed a guy named John Dinsmore here in town. Yep. C cut him in half with a shotgun. And uh, the news we were getting about that kind of stuff, you know, we we're getting these mixed stories about who did what and what and where and wah wah and I'm saying this is just not right that I'm getting all this confusing information so I decided to uh, start a public affairs show which is in the charter of the nonprofit corporation for radio would, stations yeah that we would do public affairs and as a former member of the board I knew we weren't doing that and so I stepped in and I did started the show and did it for two years and I never really did. I came in too late to follow up on the Dinsmore story, but uh, I did. Uh, the police made a lot of, we're going to do this change and that change and this change and that change, and I interviewed them and got them on the air, went for rides, and I'll, I'll might bring that up a little bit later. But during my two years uh, on the air, uh, I would, uh, I can't remember if I started this show at six in the morning or seven in the morning. It was, you did, you did come in in the morning though. Yeah, dark, dark and early. Dark and early. And we'd tape the show and then play it again at five. And it was always important to me that uh, we, I would get the city manager or the county manager that, that and get the agenda of the city. Okay, here's a test meetings. now. Here's a test yeah. for your, your exam. Who was the city manager and the county administrator back when you were started this week in Moab? Donna Metzler was the city manager. What's your, wow. And uh, 
the county manager, I can't. Uh, that's okay. You got yeah. half. Of, that's pretty good. <laughs> I couldn't remember actually, and of course. But uh, I'd have them on the air every week and yeah. and talk to them about the city and county, and then if the city or county was having an interesting topic, I would go to the meeting and tape it and burn it down. I played a lot of cloud cloud rock issues. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the two, wow, the two stories I wanted to talk about, I would, uh, one was the, um, uh, what was I just thinking there? Uh, oh yeah, uh, there was a, I was working downtown and this lady came in to talk to me one, one day and she was living in a trailer court on uh, 4th East next to her daughter, and her daughter was of a mixed racial heritage. And their next-door neighbors in the trailer were shouting uh, racial epitaphs at this girl, and they were saying, we're going to go Wyoming on your butt. You know, remember when they hung the gay kid up again in the I barbed wire? They were going to go Wyoming. And then they took the Christmas lights in the courtyard and formed a swastika out of them. Oh, dear. And then on New Year's Eve, uh, they pulled into s the woman and uh, her ki daughter and somebody, her boyfriend pulled in at a gas station, and these guys showed up and started taunting, and they were terrified. And it turns out that there was a, uh, a neo-Nazi skinhead tattoo parlor downtown, it was like the first internet in Moab, and these guys were glomming into the internet from this tattoo parlor. And this lady had gone to the local press, she had gone to the local police, and they all said, we can't do anything about it. And she came to me and said, can, can you do something? I said, well, yeah, just come and speak into the microphone, I'll tape it and play it. And so she came in and I taped her. and. Uh, got her scheduled in and taped her on a Wednesday, I think, and on Thursday the mayor called me up and said, please don't play that because it'll compromise a certain family. And I said, oh no, I'm playing this. And then uh, the front door to the radio station, the lock was broken. I was having trouble getting in, so I, I talked to the maintenance guy. I said, please have this lock fixed by Monday morning. This is going to be an important story. And and when I got up here at Monday morning, it was dark and cold. It was January, and I couldn't get that door open, and it was like three minutes to showtime. <laughs> and so that little window in the back office, you I crawled through it. broke it. You broke it. <laughs> and then crawled You had to get on the air, didn't you? And played it, and I played that show. And then the media and the police took that story on uh, and... Uh, busted this group up and one of them went to jail i'm sorry to say i I'm, I'm sorry anybody has to go to jail but and then uh you know so that was kind of i thought it was a pretty big deal for a little station like this and then <coughs> the maintenance guy who hadn't fixed the lock charged me 75 bucks for breaking the window <laughs> Oh, there you have it. Well, you know, we do work on very tight budgets here at KZMU Radio Station. Well, I had a tight budget, too, but... I so, what was your... But, was uh, your but I went ahead and paid it. And what were your best memories of this week in Mob? I mean, I, I kind of remember some fun things that you did, Rory. 
I remember you going on Super Bowl night to local establishments Mm -hmm. and recording some of those highlights. I think you did more than two years at KZMU. I mean, this Uh, week in Moab. You know, that was only how long. I had to go to work. Uh, I got a job doing tours up in Montana, so I couldn't keep doing the show. But I brought a lot of people, and probably... no, I did a lot of shows. We did shows live down at Davis Corner Market. I didn't know that. Yeah, we'd bring local the police chief and the mayor and oh, wow. the city manager. and A little round table, literally, right? Yeah, yeah a, lo- a round table at Davis Corner Market. <laughs> what a per- Dave really loved, loved us doing it. He seemed pretty happy. And so that was we, I, I had to recruit John Cowan, the brilliant uh, di- dinosaur guy. He came up and ran the board up here. He was a good friend of mine. Uh, so that was one of the first what we call the Marty um, yeah. broadcasts, which you know still happen. Yeah, but you must have been the kind of pioneering. Did you do anything around the elections? I do kind of. I have vague memories well, of us going to TI uh, for the elections. I, I always drafted a slate of questions and I gave them to all the candidates in advance and then introdu- talked to them about what their opinions were. But as far as favorite memories go, I think. One thing I did is I interviewed uh, uh, old-timers who had been here forever about this and that, Pete Bird and Dorothy Stanton, and uh, those are names some of us might recognize. But my favorite was an interview with a guy named Ballard Harris. You ever hear of Ballard? Mm -mm. Well, Ballard uh, grew up in Woodside. You know when you yeah. <laughs> when Is he the last person to live there by any chance? <laughs> Pretty closely, but he, but he lived at at this time he lived out in, uh, by Dewey Bridge. He had a gas station out there. Is that oh years. wow yeah the one that you see that's yeah still the, the remnants? remnants of that gas station wow. that was Ballard's gas station. Okay, and he lived there and uh, he would tell stories and he was full of great stories and he'd go out and throw corn out to the rock pigeons that would come down out of, the, out of the cliffs up above the Dewey Bridge, and it was really quite idyllic. But the story he told me is uh, he was uh, going to a one-room school in uh, Woodside, <laughs> which is, if people don't know Woodside, it's what, south of Price about? You can, get, you can buy jerky there. That's about it. <laughs> There's a little stand there. I mean, it's, it's all uh, fenced off. Oh, man. It's like the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so he's in grade school there in the one-room the one room schoolhouse, one through eight, going to school. And he says, I was sitting there, and I, I wasn't doing nothing. I was just sitting there. And the teacher comes storming into the back of the room and starts hitting me with a ruler. I go, why are you hitting me? I wasn't doing nothing. And she says, that's why I'm hitting you. (laughs) (laughs) And Ballard says, she got my attention. And I've never stopped working since. (laughs) Wow, good story. I love the stories of the old times because it gives you a sense of history of this place that, you know, we get so caught up in our what we are today, but... This town was built on a lot of great stories of people coming here. It's not the easiest place to live at any time, actually. Uh, well, first thing I did when I moved to town was read all the back issues of the time, Times Independent. Okay. And there's a lot of stories. <laughs> I still like that feature in the, in the newspaper. I mean, one of the highlights of reading that particular is seeing that front page from... Yeah, the, yeah. I always check and see what the date was. Yeah. You know, whether they were drilling for oil or mining for uranium and oh, the 
rash of fatal car accidents in the <laughs> 1950s and 60s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like as much as you read back, things haven't changed that much. People still complain about the same things as they did back then, and, you know, we're just fast forward a few years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So um, one of my memories of your show was Audrey Graham because she became quite a regular on your show. It was like she was your um, head into what was going on in the planning commission because then she, at that time she was on the planning commission at the county, correct? Mm -hmm. Do you remember any of her conversations? No. <laughs> I bet she was talking about housing. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you, though, uh, uh, last fall, uh, I saw her and her husband, my Prius, and gave them a thousand dollars off because they have given so much to this community. <laughs> they have, I mean, I, I've, yeah. Audrey has been just a pillar of this community. Yeah, I, I, I had this Prius and I hated it because you couldn't four-wheel it over anything. So you you gave it to them? They still well, have, I, I sold it to they them. They still have that, don't but they? But I, I had to spend 1500 bucks to get it fixed and then I took another thousand off for them. Well, that's because you can't take it four-wheeling. <laughs> well, I was four-wheeling yesterday and the day before. Not in the Prius, just, though. Not in the Prius. <laughs> that just car just wasn't my style. So let me ask you this. I mean, now you've kind of found a bit of a retreat. I know you don't live in Moab um, directly anymore. You kind of live somewhere a bit more reclusive, one well, might say. I live up in Castleton. I mean, many people probably don't even know where Castleton yeah, Castleton is. Castleton is past the Castle Valley turnoff another seven miles, so it's... If I turn right, I'm in Mo 27 miles, I'm in Moab 40 minutes later. If I turn left 27 miles, I'm in Gateway, Colorado, two and a half hours later. <laughs> two and a half <laughs> hours later. Yeah. It's a slow drive, isn't it? Different drive. Let me ask but, you. I mean, but I've been living up in Castleton for going on 14 years really? now, and it is... I think just the most beautiful and delightful place in the county. It's 10 degrees cooler, and I'm looking right down at mm -hmm. Castleton Tower and across view. the river at uh, Arches National Park, and I, I will do whatever I can to stay there. Let me, let me ask you this. I mean, you arrived in Moab in 1993, so you're almost, I've been here as long as the station's been basically in Moab. Mm -hmm. Obviously, things have changed, so we just want to get your take on you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let, let's go there. You can start out wherever you want, but, you know, of the last 30 years... If you well, I, th I think we need to come to grips with the fact that there's just more people, and, and they're coming, right? And I'll give you a perfect example, in my opinion, and that's powerhouse. You know what to do about the powerhouse area. And uh, I tried to bring it up to the uh, county, city and county council a few years ago. I got nowhere with that with them. Cara Dornwind has been doing some really interesting work last year, but she seems to be languishing. And, and in my personal opinion, you, they need to put the main parking lot on the potato salad hillside and create a, a real urban uh, wilderness interface there where people can go and relax and hang out. Or you bring a tour bus and there's a picnic tables and sun shelters and you know, where you get a, an outhouse that's a, not, two mi not a mile and a half away from the waterfall. And 
and just plant it, and, but in a larger context, it would, I mean, it would make a beautiful park, wouldn't it? I think it? that was one of the plans that they came up with, actually, which they were trying to really try and keep people as close to the parking lot as possible to protect the backcountry. Yeah. In but, a way, it's and, kind of an and, interesting way to consider op- it. But open up the front range, and mm-hmm. I mean, if you bring in a bus, and you get out of the bus, and you eat lunch, and you drive away, what do you, how far from the parking lot are you going to get, right? But... uh but right at the confluence of left and right hand, there's a place there where you could put a bathroom. Yeah. It doesn't flood. I've seen big floods in there. And then you could take the confluence and clean out the poison ivy and make a little wedding chapel. <laughs> <laughs> and so then you charge people from outside the county to park down there, and you charge them buku bucks to get married at the confluence. <laughs> and you'd have to deal with um, a few guests that might not be invited to your wedding, though. <laughs> well, that could all be worked out. Plus, on the, uh, what, the north side of the creek there, not the trail right now, you could put a little two-track that you could have the caterers come in or, or the search and re- rescue, and they wouldn't have to haul anybody with a broken leg out on wasn't there a, on the on the i guess you know, i just uh, i just, just i did but the the thing is howard that we're a town our we make our nut in this town off the parks and why don't why we don't have a city or county park in mill creek i don't know Probably because it belongs to the federal government. I bet you that's part of it. It doesn't belong to us. And it's the Bureau of Land Management, so there's your answer right there. Well, I don't know who. Well, actually, I think there's three different property owners. But why we don't have, that's one of the most fantastic places in the world. And when we had those lockdowns of the parks a few years ago, they were shunting people off to Grand Staff Canyon and up to Kane. And some of those places would make great parks. You know, we should just look at ourselves uh, be a more park-oriented kind of community and open in that regard. And, and if you're not from here, we'll charge you money. Well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, maybe you know, I mean, you might know this, but Sand Flats Recreation Area is one of the most unique management agreements in North America. Yeah, It's the only, not the only place. I know there's a couple of other places that do this, but we definitely pioneered this process. We have a pro- Where the yeah. county worked with the government yeah. and did it famously. They did a wonderful job up there. What would you say about extending that kind of management system think, down I, to Mill Creek? I think they ought to move the entrance booth yeah. down to the entrance work, to the creek. To entrance to the creek, and then all the lines back people can go up their way, and, yep. and then it, you can collect money for sand flats. Would you and expand Mill creek. maybe their operations into that area well, as an of option? Of course, yeah, yeah, because they know how what they're doing. Because we need stewards. Yeah, you know, and it, uh, and that's another thing that like the BOM is terrible at is recruiting and training and dispersing stewards and oversight people. Funding issues, my friend. Uh, you know what? <laughs> they, they work off budgets. A I'm volunteer. Afraid. Yeah, that's true. 12 hours worth of, one hour of time organizing a volunteer turns into 12 hours yeah. minimum. It's not a budgeting issue. It's a, it's an policy option. Oh, we need another cop when you could get 30 volunteers, right? <laughs> Let me ask you this about, um, where was I going to go with this? Keep going on or your support. Or 50 volunteers. And, you know, that's the thing about KZMU. 
I did a count one time. It was between 70 and 80 volunteers a month who come up here mm -hmm. and donate their time. And it's just amazing what a fabulous operation. And I was talking to Lee from the uh, dog shelter. Uh, uh, what do you call that? The Humane Society? The Humane Society. Yes, yeah. Lee. And yeah, that Lee. And I mean, they've got 50 volunteers working for them. And if, along with parks, I think, spending a lot more time and effort organizing and uh, training and uh, signing volunteers would be a good thing for the BLM to learn how to do. I mean, you probably understand, as you just mentioned, like three organizations. I really believe the true magic of Moab is the synergy of volunteerism. Because if you look across the board, not just at the station, but all of the nonprofits really rely Seek, on... Seek Haven. Multicultural. I mean, we have also, did you know trail that... Trail mix. Trail mix. I mean, they're just doing amazing things and it's, out there. But on their own. Well, it's volunteerism, yeah. and that's what makes it magical because money can't buy that sort of input, honestly. No. DJs, I mean, I speak from a DJ's kind of point of view. How much, I don't, it's, it's a joy to be a DJ, you know, to present music. I mean, you have a universe, and you're, you're free to select. You know, it's like having a, this discussion here. We have a free discussion here. It's a very open forum for discussion. Stewardship. Now, stewardship is really, I think everybody should be taught about stewardship. If you're what you, what's your definition of stewardship? Well, you know what to look out for, and you look out for it. You know, it's like the kids in high school should just say, by dint of you being born here, you may have an obligation to take care of this place and make it look good. There was some kid 10 years ago went up left hand with a, a carton full of acrylic spray paint and asked his girl to the prom, local boy, he didn't get the message, did he? <laughs> you know, that he hit. And, and, and to me, that's not his problem. He's just 16 and horny, right? But that's a problem with the BLM and the school, the school board that they don't teach the kids here to be stewards, yeah. that, they, that they have at least the obligation to honor the other stewards. Just going to interject here, a reminder that you are listening to KZMU. This is This Week in Moab. I'm talking with the origi originator of this show, which has kept me um, up here. You know how long I've been in this show? Hmm. 22 years, Rory. <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> can believe it or not. So I this was is trying to figure out if uh, uh, this show or the Trading Post had a bigger longevity. Well, the Trading Post no longer exists, it, so I have they, to say. <laughs> well, you know, but they started right away. So. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Well, we just have to go 10 years past. I'd I don't, love I don't to know see how long happen. ago the Trading Post stopped working, but it was such a great show. With, I mean, you could count on uh, Donnie and his Fast Eddie. Uh, Fast Eddie to make you laugh a lot better than you can listening to Wait, Wait. Well, they were also, I mean, they, they made it look so easy, okay? Oh. And those guys, I mean, we, I, we all know who they are, but they just, they were, they were professionals at this. I mean, it was like they came from a, a professional world of well, radio they, and gave us their they, time. They spent a lot of time getting trained in yeah. improv, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and just two funny brothers being funny together. Yeah, and, and, and being comfortable, yeah. you know? yeah. How about some cowboy poetry? Can you just kind of throw some out there? Just you know, uh, actually, I, I wanted I, I wanted to do a poem as we get into as we go to the uh, rock art thing that we've been doing, and uh, you know Fiona Rayson, 
I do. Uh, Fiona called me up last fall right before the Equinox because I go to Equinox sites, astronomical sites, and, and uh, she says, do you remember me? And I said, no. She says, well, I met you at the parking lot at Eddie's 10 years ago, and you gave me m your phone number and said if I ever wanted to go see this stuff to call you. <laughs> I said, fine, I'll take you. And she said, can I bring my girlfriends? I said, sure, 5, 5 a.m. at the Lions uh, parking lot. And uh, it turns out uh, Fiona's kind of mystical, and last summer she had this... Uh, feeling or this urge that she just had to do more about rock art and telling people about rock art and uh, it was working on her and uh, she was talking to a friend of hers and uh, her friend says well do you know Rory Tyler and she says oh I have his phone number <laughs> <laughs> and since you haven't moved in 14 years <laughs> right is it a landline is the question so no, no that no. was my cell number okay uh, anyway, so I took uh, her and a couple other women out for a walk, and I felt like they were sincere. And the, uh, the odd thing here, Howard, is that I have been working on a website for, I, well, I've been gathering data for 20 years, right? But I've been writing this, putting this website together for about the last three or four years, and I had just posted it, like, when Fiona had her, her, vision or whenever she got calling <laughs> calling or whatever <laughs> and so Rory. when she called me i said well you can go to moabrockart.org and you can see this site online and how it works and what it does and then i can take you there and you can see it in person and i won't have to explain everything all the time and uh one thing led to another and we took uh groups of people out different rock art sites, astronomical sites here in Moab. We've done a bunch of hikes since December until now. We're finishing up. Never charged anybody a dime. Just giving you it away. Volunteerism, Rory. That's awesome. That's mine. Like, and good company, no doubt. Yeah, anyway, it was great company. But there's a, a poem by William Butler Yeats called The, ba the Ballad of Wandering Angus. And a <clears throat> and it's about this guy, he gets a fire in his head and he has to go fishing and he catches a mystical fish that changes into a fairy princess and and leads him on for the rest of his life. And So just, Fiona, I know you're listening. <laughs> I'm going to do uh, the Ballad of Wandering Angus instead of a cowboy poem. I'm going to do a little Yeats. Because a fire was in my, oh, I cut and peeled a hazel wand, for a fire was burning in my head. Wait a minute, still not right. Take two. Uh, take two. Here we go. I went into the hazel wood, for a fire was burning in my head, and cut and peeled a hazel wand and hooked a berry to a thread. And when white moths were on the wing, and stars like moths came fluttering out, I dropped the berry in a stream and caught a little silver trout. When I had placed it by the door and went to blow the fire flame, I heard a rustling by the door and someone call me by my name. It had become a glimmering girl with apple blossoms in her hair who called me by my name and fled and faded in the brightening air.
though I am old with wandering. Through hollow land and hilly land, I will find out where she has gone, and kiss her lips, and hold her hand, and walk among long dappled grass, and pluck till time and times are done, the silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. Awesome. <laughs> you know what they say about the obsessed? They don't know they're obsessed. Well, what I'm impressed with, Rory, is that you don't have anything in front of you, and you're doing that from memory. That is incredible. I can do that for hours. <laughs> well, we've got hours. We've got at least 20 <laughs> minutes. Well, at least 20 more minutes. No, um, let's talk about, I mean, the rock art around here, how would you rate it on a scale of, you know, rock art other, in other parts of the U.S.? Are we one of the top places? In the world. In the world? In the world. Really? I think it's some of the most represent, representational and graphic art in the world, and that's what's allowed me to put together an interpretive uh, scheme because, you know, I, I can see things. This panel here well, is on my computer. Yeah, I wish you could see this, listeners. Uh, we, yeah. <laughs> wow, I wish well, you could you see this. You can't, but you're a website, right? MoabRockArt.org. That's fine. And this I call the Rosetta panel because you see this critter here. He's got the short ears and the long tail. And so that's obviously a lion, right? That looks but he's got these distinctive paw prints. And when I found this panel in 97, it's way up left-hand somewhere. Jose Knighton was my running partner oh, wow. back then. We used to put on 1,000 miles a year together. Really? Yeah. We, uh, I said, Jose, where have we seen that before? He said, well, maybe Hidden Valley. We went to Hidden <laughs> Valley, and it was all over. And then that allowed me to start tracking this track and inferring that if it was a lion's track or a predator's track, that the things next to it were probably lions and predators, something about hunting. And I found out that this track exists from Moab down to Gallup and from Gallup all the way to Flagstaff. Wow. And that was the basket maker range. Oh Everybody wow. in that range knew this symbol and what it represented. And it was really, it's been an eye-opening experience for me. Let me, just, let me just ask you, because obviously the listeners can't see that, and they should go look at it when they have a chance for sure. Um, we'll, and you'll mention that website again. Let me ask you about your, how you feel about your connection now with your years of you know, what you've seen in this place. I mean, it, it's, it must reveal itself to you in some way that maybe on a deeper level we are just completely unaware of. Uh, I have no answer. You have no answer? <laughs> You're speechless, Rory? You know, I, I see panels. I go back and look at the same panel time and time again and time and time again. And then, then you see something. You know, the scientific method is observation, pattern recognition, hypotheses. And all those thousands of miles that I walked with Jose over 15 years, that was the apprenticeship of observation. Then when... <coughs> Jose left in 2005. Wow, 2005? Yeah, I needed wow. something to do, and so I just started hitting Jesus. all these different rock art panels. And when I started looking at the rock art down in right hand off of Johnson's up on top, it all just kind of snapped in place for me. And I was seeing the relationships. And then the so I <coughs> was taking notes and of, the, of that canyon, of all my f photography down there. And then... Uh, I realized that I was writing these notes in two-letter codes, 
instead of writing down the name. And then, so I, I'm going to have to do it again. So I went back in and recorded all everything with these two-letter codes. And then I said, well, gee, I can take these codes and put them on a graph paper and get a basic understanding of this uh, panel and create a sortable database so mm -hmm. that I can apply values to certain glyphs and create a testable hypothesis. <laughs> and so that's what happened to me. Let me ask you um, about the bear's ears. I mean, that was obviously a huge area. Have you spent much time down in that? Not too not much. Not much. There's so much here, right? I mean, yeah, there's so much here. I, I mean, I explored around bear's ears in Cedar Mesa. I was out, I uh, really like it out in Petrified Forest, but it's the swell. Yeah, so much. In the <laughs> nine Mile Canyon. Stop. You know, you know, we got this uh, school here now. We need a chair of rock art studies here. There you go. I mean, you know, you know. Yeah, I would imagine that with part of anthropo anthropological studies, that would be this would be a fascinating class. We're right in the middle of it. And no doubt. I mean, that's the beauty. It's so exciting to have USU here because they don't need an internal classroom. <laughs> Because if you, you just take the subject matter and just walk outside and everything is right there, including a, more rock art than we can uh, um, ever measure, I guess, yeah. except with your well, I'm learning new eyes. stuff all the time. Let me ask you this question. I'm sure you're familiar with the Massaback parking lot down Cane Springs, and mm -hmm. you go up that hill. Now, on that wall, there's a series of petroglyphs there. I look at one of those petroglyphs, and I wish I had a photo to show you. It seems like they're, they're, they're aliens in these depictions. Do you think that's a possibility of what these people saw? When I uh, don't know what a petroglyph, have any idea what a petroglyph is, and somebody asks me, I'll tell them it's either an alien or a map. <laughs> and I'll say, I'll tell them that in advance. If I don't know, it's... I'll tell you it's an alien or map, and then later on they say, what's that? I say, oh, that's a map. And then, what's your, what's and then they go, oh, and, and then about three seconds later they go, ah. <laughs> what's, the, what's, what's been the most striking petroglyph you've ever, I mean, you've ever seen? What's really just knocked your socks off? Oh, the snake. Really? <laughs> the snake. Yeah. Tell people, I mean, without telling too much. Why don't you tell people about the snake? Well, the snake is a petroglyph up behind the rocks. It's about 15 or 20 feet long, exquisitely done. And at the summer solstice, the light comes up over the cliff, and it forms a perfect arrowhead on the snake's face. No, it doesn't. Uh, perfect. I believe and it. Might be a, it might be an arrowhead. It might be an image of a god or something. But I figured that one out in 97. Well, actually, m one of my first hikes with Jose, we went in there in the spring of 94 looking for uh, equinox sightings. It was Devin Vaughn's idea that it might be an equinox site, but it wasn't. But it was such a cool place, I went back the next week, and I did spot what I thought might be an astronomical image because I had been following uh, uh, ancient West Indian astronomy since... Uh, 1975, I think, when Anna Sophia found the sun dagger. I was in Chaco the, that winter before. And so I, but anyway, uh, I figured out that there was a lot more art there. So between 94 and 97, I was going in there all the time and doing observations, summers, winter, spring, fall. And then in the summer of 97, I just happened to be going up there and uh, this 
saw where the snake was, there was no light on it yet on the summer solstice. So I ran up there, and there was that arrowhead of light on the snake's face. And my buddy Kyle Ross came up two minutes later, and it was gone. I said, wow. Kyle, Kyle. He late. said, no, no, no. So the next day, Kyle and Jose, and I think Devin was with us. Devin Vaughn. Yeah, we went up, and there it was, and it was amazing. And uh, we kind of tried to keep it quiet, but it just slipped out. And uh, the next year, Craig Childs, the writer, was up there, and he wrote about it in his book and commented on NPR about it. And he was down a couple years ago. He told me he was down in Patagonia. He says, yeah, I've been to Moab, and the guy across the from the campfire says, oh, have you seen the snake? <laughs> and there's there's over 100 people a year going up there now. Wow. And it's not an easy hike, is it? No, it's, it's four miles. Arduous. Rugged. Middle of the summer. You have to walk in heat. And they, but what happens now is you'll get 50 or 60 people standing there, uh, sitting there, and they've all got their phones up in the air, and they're taking pictures and sending it around the world. Yeah, well. Now, some people... tagging. See, there's a lot of people who think that, oh, you don't tell them where it is. You don't tell them about it, right? But let me ask you a question, Howard. You've met a lot of uh, artists in your day, I'll bet. Sure. Yeah. Well, how many of them have told you, please don't show anybody my work or <laughs> tell them how to see it? Um, not very many of them. <laughs> And so the, you consider this was uh, this was indigenous art then. So yeah. that was their art. it was their art gallery, wasn't it? I'm a I love art from all ages, and this was this was like medieval painting to them. You know, it was sacred images, like it says in that book. And and that artist, if you had told that artist that there's going to be a hundred people here and they're going to be sending pictures of your art. How would that make that artist feel? Now, I did have this conversation with an archaeologist one time. He says, oh, it's not that simple. And I said, well, it's not simple, is it? Because it puts you on a completely different paradigm of interpretation and your responsibility. It's not like hide it, hide it, hide it. Everybody's protect, protect. bad. Everybody's sure. evil. The way you protect it is by educating people, yeah. people and and they go there and educate their friends, and then there's somebody standing there who says, "Hey, cut that out." <laughs> yeah, if I was, you know. And, but there are certain people who are just flat out malicious, and yeah. you have to bad admit, actors. And, yeah. and I have zero tolerance for bad actors. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, but they're still going to act. Badly. I know human. It's humans. I, you know, I've had this kind of crazy goal. Imagine at the top of 191, where you come into Moab, there's a checkpoint, and everybody has to stop there. And they're given a, a, they have to sign a contract and say, what are you going to do here? You're going to go hiking? Do you know how to hike? <laughs> and, you know, you geotag them and you watch them. And it's like, you, until we know you can behave, we're gonna, I know you can't do that. But well, I mean, that's part of the When I was doing process. hiking tours with Canyon Voyages, Howard, all I do had it. to do was look at their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if they were young and their shoes were beat up, I said, we're going to have fun today. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's just ponder on this thought. I mean, uh, as I get older and the longer I live in these areas, maybe it's just gradually seeping into me. But it seems, and without a doubt, the indigenous peoples were very in tune with nature, right? Well, no doubt about it. And that, the landscape. And that's one of the things about my rock art interpretation is the, the landscape comes into it big time. And people always say all the Indians know the landscape, but they never tell you how. I have some pretty strong theories in that regard. But. Sorry, Dan. No, no, just, I mean, expounding on that, it's Easter week, right? 
they really worshipped the mother of the earth, right? That was the, I mean, if you looked across the indigenous peoples, all of them kind of had this, not always harmonious, but they had a very close relationship with the earth. And basically what the earth produced was everything they had to exist, right? And they never wasted very much either. So they were very grateful to everything given to them. And so basically maybe the, the concept of a god is actually a bit false, that it's really a goddess because it's the mother of the earth that actually gives us everything. <laughs> I mean, we can look out there into space and see a great void with a whole lot of nothing, and yet here we have everything. Well, as far as my metaphysics go, I'm a Gaia guy, and I can't get any any further past that. That's, you, well, that's Mother Earth. Yeah. And so here's the Rosetta panel again. And you see this figure right here? It's an inverted U with the two dots. Uh-huh. That is a basket maker fertility symbol, a female vagina. And you'll see that identical symbol on the birthing rock anatomically correct. In this particular case, there's a phallus inside of it attached to that line. So I guess good hunters make good husbands. <laughs> and there's only four of these, this particular style female image that I'm aware of. They're all here in Moab. So on the same panel, you've got these tracks that everybody knew about from Gallup to Flagstaff. And you've got the symbol right here, which is the specific symbol for females in Moab. And I've been, uh, the Cane Creek Corridor from the portal, uh, right where the old tram line used to come down, that's where the biggest one of these images is, and, and to the birthing rock, yeah, was that, that's like just super female yeah. energy in there. And I've been taking uh, some local, mostly local Moab women out there to show it to them, and they've been going out there and holding ceremonies and, yeah. and that was prayers and stuff like that. And that was one of the saddest things that I've heard in all my years here of what happened to Birthing Rock last year. Mm. You know, it was, well, I won't get into bad that. Bad no. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, it just, it really upsets we only have, one of us. We only have five minutes. I don't want to make you mad. No, don't make me mad. I'm gonna go, I'd thank like you to know who it. those guys are that's, that are doing that because they quite prob probably do not understand the range and the wealth of the rock art. But they need a little bit location. of an education. Um, I need to reach out to them. And then in right hand off of Johnson's up on top, that's where my big biggest effort was. That's where the the core of the website is something called a codicon. It's like a codex and a lexicon because word I made up and it's how I inter interpreted 80 different symbols. And that canyon Half of it just got bought by Lachlan Murdoch, uh, Lachlan. Rupert Murdoch's son. Mm -hmm. Head of Fox. And so the, yeah, head of Fox, 30 billion comes to town, hard, there's hardly a ripple. I don't know what, <laughs> maybe somebody should do a story on it, Howard. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> life happens so fast, who can keep up with it, okay? So, but uh, anyway, I was, I had free reign up and down that canyon for years and years. I knew the people that were down there and a lot of that. Uh, imagery on the, in the website the, when I actually documented uh, that that site that was 1400 screens uh, and that's on the website but that's only for the serious all right listen Rory Tyler it's been a great honor and pleasure to have you up in KZMU you are a, wor a world of knowledge a wealth of knowledge and encyclopedia with uh, eloquent poetry um, twist too so Thanks for all your support for these years of this town and also well, being... Thank you, Howard, for keeping the, <laughs> keeping the flame going. Hey, it takes us one, one show at a time, right? And yeah. um, with that said, 
Um, Rory is going to slip off up, up into the beautiful Castleton part of our county here, probably one of the best parts of the county, honestly. And he's going to have to go through town, though, and there's a few Jeeps, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> so he's off the air there. So keep it tuned here at KZMU. Uh, we're live and local, have been for 30 years, and maybe for 30 more, with your help. Thanks for all of it, and I'll be back actually next week with some original board members from KZMU, Bill Groff and Carl Rapp and Christy. So keep that tune. We're going to keep this um, birth of KZMU very much going for a bit here. And thanks for listening. <laughs>